Music hath charms to soothe the savage breasts, but can it drive away loiterers and hooligans from the local bus station? This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Businesses and transportation systems around the world have been turning to classical music and opera as a crime-fighting tool. Several Canadian cities began piping it in from speakers in bus and subway platforms to keep people from loitering. London has tried playing classical music in its underground stations. And here in the New York area, Amtrak and New Jersey Transit have turned to Handel and Mozart in several train stations. The latest example of classical music as a crime deterrent comes from Columbus, Ohio, where local businesses reported success with Vivaldi's Four Seasons. But does this strategy work? And what does it say about classical music that it's used as a crime repellent? To discuss this, I have two experts, Jacqueline, Jackie Helfgott, chair of the Criminal Justice Department at Seattle University, and from England, Nigel Rogers, the head of Pipe Down, a group that campaigns against background music in all forms. Jackie, I'm going to start with you. Using classical music to deter crime has been making the headlines for years, including just last week at a YMCA in Columbus, Ohio. Does it work? Well, it's been used as part of a larger strategy of crime prevention through environmental design and situational crime prevention. And there are studies that show that that approach to reducing crime does work. When we talk specifically about music, however, there haven't been uh, empirical studies that have examined the effects specifically of music because music has been used as part of a larger strategy. So things like changing lighting and changing the environmental uh, composition, cutting shrubbery and and, uh, elevating buildings to change territorial pathways and and markers. So it's been used as part of a larger strategy to reduce crime that has been shown to be effective. Well, I have a quote from somebody in Columbus in the article about the situation last week in Columbus who said, there's something about Baroque music that macho wannabe gangster types hate. What do you say to that? Well, that's been discussed. There is a great article called Weaponizing Classical Music written several years ago by Lily Hirsch, who uh, has just come out with a book on the the topic that that mentions some of that. And people have been quoted to say that Baroque music is a type of music that is so unfamiliar to juveniles that it's the most repellent uh, when we talk about uh, repelling crime, and most crime is committed by people between the ages of 14 and 24. So with that, the Baroque music is just the most unfamiliar and complicated type of music and just and, and not pleasant to the ear of a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> Nigel, your organization, Pipe Down, is against piped-in background music, period. So what is your response to using classical music like this? Well, actually, we really campaign for freedom from pipe music, which is a subtle but important difference. So, uh, Because we're not saying that people should never have it. We're just saying give peace a chance, particularly in places like bus stations and so on. So I, Pipe Down is horrified by it, and we're against the misuse of great music, or even perhaps not such great music, but good music of any sort, whether it's classical or any other type, for this purpose. And it's interesting that Jackie carefully qualified the uh, supposed effectiveness of this by saying it's due to improving the, the background lighting, etc., etc. I can see that upgrading a place in general will 
discourage crime. And I take the point that people don't like music of any sort that they don't know. People will tend to recoil from, say, Albenberg or Stockhausen, which is very different from Vivaldi or indeed from Mozart. But I don't think any of these people should be used as a form of crowd control or punishment almost of young people. I think we should be looking for other more positive ways because, after all, classical music, for those who, who like it, is a wonderful thing. And to misuse it like this is a terrible perversion. I use the word perversion very powerfully, very cogently. I mean it. It is a perversion. It's a terrible thing. You just mentioned that it's not only classical music that's used. And Jackie, some places have used Barry Manilow or <laughs> country music to deter crime. So I guess it's in the ear of the beholder. But mostly they do seem to use classical music. Maybe it's because um, young people simply aren't used to classical music, as you've said, Jackie. And it's once people get used to it, I suspect it'll cease to be anything like as effective. It's rather like a scarecrow, traditional scarecrow in the field. Farmers put it one up, and the crows keep away for a while, and they realize that it's not going to do them any real harm, and they come back. So the farmer has to replace it. But um, And I think that's what will probably happen in the long term with classical music. While, while you're on that point, Jackie, have you seen that scarecrow effect of having to replace it with something else? Historically, I mean, the, the, the use of, of music as a territorial marker in crime prevention comes from the association between the aesthetic of the music and the style and identity of criminal subcultural groups. And so historically, classical music has been seen as uncool by, you know, people engaged in criminal behavior. Just the historical association between classical music and coolness and classical music and a cultural aesthetic that is pro-social as opposed to anti-social is the root of its use as a crime prevention tool. And so, Is there any element of some notion of classical music being elite that would play into this? Yes, that this whole issue of you know, music being used for good as opposed to evil, I mean, that, ha- that is an a, a ethical consideration. It's a consideration that a, a lot of people and a criticism that some people have had you know, that we're, we're using music as a territorial marker. We're associating music with, you know, elite or pro-social or a higher type of aesthetic. And there are issues associated with doing that. And Nigel, how prevalent is the use of classical music to fight crime? I don't think classical music is used very much. Um, in the London Underground of the subway system, they have experimented with it at some stations. But um, I don't think it's very widespread. It has aroused quite a lot of protest because some commuters don't like it for perfectly good reasons. They simply don't like tinnily reproduced music, whether it's Mahler or Handel or anyone else, being recycled at them constantly while they're packed together waiting to board a train or on board a train. The station I know, the underground station that I know personally, is Vauxhall, which is underground all the way. There's no open bit to it. And they had it in the approach tunnels to it for a while. I wrote in and said, this is horrible. I didn't get a reply, but I noticed that after a while it stopped. And I think it was the acoustics and making the noise absolutely hellish to everybody. They do have instead, they have buskers, which pipe down supports because we encourage live music. And buskers are very, very in quality, but they do seem to, to keep crime down, partly because there's somebody out there actually fiddling or strumming away who could see what's going on and can a report later to the police. Jackie, you but, have sort of a, an equivalent to buskers that you've encountered that isn't actually a musical thing. 
the people who would set up games and play. Yeah, that's based on the, the whole, it's called the Crozon mixing principle. So it's the idea of mixing safe activities in unsafe locations. And that's a situational crime prevention tool that sometimes Use. They tried it here um, in an uh, area in Tacoma, Washington, several years ago, where they had senior citizens out playing pinnacle in a high gang crime area. But there was something that Nigel said a minute ago that made me think too of uh, you know there's this business of you know showing whether or not there's evidence that classical music really is a crime repellent, and we need to be doing empirical research on that to show whether or not classical music is any better than, say, uh, you know, blowing a big loud horn and, <laughs> you know, and, and repelling people that way. And there was a police captain here at the Seattle Police that has mentioned to me they tried using music down at the McDonald's in an area down, uh, downtown area of Seattle, and then they tried blowing through the speakers, you know, this, this is police, please get out of the area, <laughs> you know, really loud, and, and, and that worked too. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that quite often some shopkeepers have taken to letting out very high-pitched shrieks, which the adult ear, people over, say, 25 or 30, cannot hear, but young people who've got more acute hearing can, and that keeps them away, young people. But I don't like that either. It may not be a misuse of music, but I think it's, it's a sort of ghettoization or a sort of apartheid almost. I think young people, yes, commit crimes, and it's a problem. I, I, I do appreciate that, but I think we must seek out other more pro-sociable ways of dealing with the problem rather than just trying to squirt acoustic insecticide at young people. <laughs> well, and, and I know that there are some stores that will definitely target their music. For instance, there are stores that I have walked into not knowing exactly what kind of store they are, and I get music blaring at me that immediately says to me, you are not the demographic that we want in this store, and I do a U-turn and I walk right out again. Mm -hmm. So well, do you think there are stores that are using classical music maybe like that to entice people or to repel a certain audience? It does a bit, yes, but people who really like music of any sort, jazz, folk, rock, classical, don't want to have it piped at them when they're trying to talk or eat or shop if, when they don't want it. Uh, we really are just simply campaigning for the freedom, the liberty to choose what kind of music we want, when we want it, and if not, not. So I'm sorry not to be able to answer your questions head on on the cl classical music thing, but it's not really. It's part of our general thing is give people the right not to have to listen to classical music. And that would include even potentially criminal 18-year-olds, I suppose. <laughs> Nigel, other than your Vauxhall experience, have you had any great triumphs in getting public facilities to stop? Oh, yes, and we certainly have. At Gatwick Airport, which is the second biggest airport in Britain, London's second airport, uh, about 18 years ago, they had pipe music almost everywhere in the public areas. We organized a letter-writing campaign, and Gatwick Airport then conducted a survey of about 68,000 people. It was not a randomized survey. It was simply people picking up um, the survey forms while they were waiting. And of the 68,000 people, 43% said they disliked it. Only 34% said they liked the pipe music then. And so Gatwick Airport sensibly dropped the pipe music and hasn't reinstalled it in the public areas. It is in various shops and bars and so on, but it's not in the generality of Gatwick Airport. And I don't think it's harmed Gatwick Airport sales or prosperity one bit, probably the opposite. Jackie, have you seen particular areas of the United States where using classical music as a deterrent seems to be most common? No, you know, since I gave that 
talk at the Library of Congress I, several years ago. I've gotten a, a, a number of calls from different agencies from all over the country, and really, in, in the research that I've done on this, it seems to be used in you know around the the world and just in communities where they're trying to get really creative about you know how to reduce crime and address particular hotspot areas. So, no, I have not seen one particular you know area associated with it. There is one example which is now spreading around the world, thank heavens, where classical music is used positively to fight crime and social deprivation. That's El Sistema, which originated in Venezuela, but I believe is spreading. And that gets young people from some of the most impoverished areas, I believe, to perform classical music, and it does transform their lives uh, very positively, though. But it's not being imposed on them in public Spaces. No, it's not at all. It's a positive thing, and it's chosen by them. Right. Uh, quite a, um, but that's another example of associating classical music with pro-social activity, which is, again, the root of its use as a crime repellent. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe El Sistema would work just as well with other types of music, but it does seem to be concentrating on classical music at the moment. Yeah, I'm curious what's happened in the areas that they've tried country music, but that because that's sort of the second most popular type of music, aside from Barry Manilow, that places have tried to use. Well, but I don't know. But I don't know. I haven't seen any studies on that know. either. Uh, but I have heard of classical music. Essentially, even classical music may work up to a point. Who knows? I mean, the statistics you say seem to be lacking. Though it's strange that they haven't, that the people who were doing it haven't got some statistics so far. It's been going on for quite a long time. My strong impression in Britain is that he's tried intermittently, but it hasn't spread nearly as fast or as persistently as was prophesied. Uh, it's also been used in Holland, I know, and one or two other North European countries. But it's certainly it's not universal or even common as yet in Europe or Britain. I also need to sort of play devil's advocate and ask whether classical music is necessarily soothing, because we all remember the movie A Clockwork Orange, where the protagonist well, is obsessed with Beethoven's Ninth and then goes on yeah. a hideous crime spree. Except if you remember in that book, Beethoven's music is the one decent thing about Alex's life, one positive or noble thing. Everything else about his life is horrific. And he does use Beethoven to get a high on, but it also, I don't know, sometimes since I read the book, it is the positive thing about him which is then used to, to condition him. Anthony Burgess was very much worried about human liberty and human choice. He, was, he wasn't a practicing Catholic in later years, I think, but he was very much concerned that human beings should have the choice between good and evil and shouldn't be programmed or preconditioned in the way that Alex is programmed in that film and that, that book. Jackie, have you ever heard of using Beethoven's Ninth, or do they really tend to go for the much milder Baroque music? I haven't heard about the specific use of Beethoven's Ninth, and I think the issue is less the association of classical music with being, you know, soothing or not. And it's it's classical music is associated with a cultural aesthetic that is pro-social and not anti-social. So it's less what the music does to a person, um, you know, when they listen to it psychologically, cognitively, emotionally. It's, it's, it's more the cultural association with pro-social, higher-level type of aesthetic. Well, this makes me wonder whether there is now a potential market for WQXR, our classical music radio station. <laughs> well, In... my, my dentist plays Classic FM, which is a, a, a commercial classical radio station over the sounds of drills. But just thinking, you, if you think of another film, Apocalypse Now, Wagner's 
Rider of the Valkyries is used there for very aggressive reasons, very aggressive purposes. Uh, so classical music is not necessarily soft and soothing. It can be extremely aggressive also. Well, and the use of classical music in torture, I mean, that's another thing. You know, I had mentioned Lily Hirsch's uh, research that, or work that she had done. She mentions that in the, the weaponizing classical music article, that classical music has been used as torture. So that's another example. Okay, Nigel, I have to ask, your dentist, do you object to hearing the classical music when you're at the dentist? <laughs> well, frankly, my dentist... I don't object to too much because I feel I'm very much in his power. I'm cowering there beneath the drill. So you yeah. haven't asked him to turn it off? No, I, I, it's not loud enough, and I'm not fortunately in the chair usually long enough for that to be a great problem. I suppose you could always make the joke that it covers the shrieks of the patients, I don't know, or covers the noise of the drill. There is a place where you don't object to having it piped in. <laughs> well, I, I don't actually personally raise the banner there. It's, I'm indifferent to it, frankly. But I think if an aircraft were crashing, uh, I wouldn't particularly care if they were playing classical music, no. But in normal circumstances, yes, I do. Well, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been Conducting Business. We've been speaking with Jacqueline Helfgott of Seattle University and Nigel Rogers of Pipedown in England. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thank you so much for listening.